Welcome to the Meltzone podcast from October 28th, 2019. It is episode 25 and I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And Tom is, well, back from another trip to the US. He was attending Earth in uh, like next to Washington State. <laughs> Washington uh, DC, Washington State is the other side oh, of the US. Oh, damn it, yeah. Washington it's DC. It's confusing. It's confusing. Uh, he talks a little bit of about his experience being there, how it's differed from Murph. And also, he was judged in the 3D printing or in the 3D Banshee speed printing challenge. Uh, maybe shares a couple of tips how those people were able to finish their 3D Banshees in just 14 minutes and still, well, look decent in the end. Um, we also chat a bit, a little bit about printing techniques or our experiences with printing PLA in different manners that the material comes out matte or glossy, uh, which might be nice for a couple of uh, like decorational 3D prints. And I kind of, I don't know, it's not really taking some time off, but I am currently tinkering a little bit on my own, not filming anything and yeah, start again to enjoy tinkering because it's less of a job and more of a hobby again. <laughs> yeah, vacation sure sounds nice. But in the new section this week, which is most of the podcast actually, but there's, there's tons of tons of stuff to talk about, uh, stuff is on fire. A Prusa is on fire. The UK is on fire, politically speaking. Uh, how that's going to impact E3D. The company Loadspot is burning down. And, well, not, not literally, but like from a business standpoint. And NordVPN is also taking fire for not communicating some uh, breaches all that well. And what you know, our our uh, conclusion from that is. Then is a follow-up from the topic of the terrorist attack in Halle that we talked about last week. Uh, of course, what's coming out is, you know, companies claiming, oh, we've got a solution for it. We will just prevent uh, firearms parts from being printed. That sure is going to work well. Uh, also, Fusion 360 is making some changes again to its subscription models. We try and figure out what has actually changed and how things used to be, which is always, you know, kind of kind of tricky to figure out if you know what's what's up right now. But is actually anything changing? A discussion topic, and also a discussion on the Elgu water washable resin, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, or somewhere in between. And we also have a question. We have one question about strange noise from like the extruder area during print uh, preheating of the printer. And yeah, we discuss where that noise could be coming from. Really interesting. So you're back from Murph. Yeah. Well, we, ha we haven't talked well, for quite Earth. a while. <laughs> <laughs> there's been TCT, there's been Earth, there's Formnext coming up in, in about four weeks. Oh, yes. God, this feels like early 2018 where it was just on a different show every two weeks as well. And it, it just eats you up. Like, don't get me wrong. Shows are fun, but there's like a limit to how many you should be doing. Yeah. And I think only posting like interviews on your channel is not the, 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 the thing. <sighs> well, your channel stands for. So, I mean, if even, if we, even though they are like really great. If you look at the numbers, like the last 
30 days or something have been the most successful on the channel ever. <laughs> so I'm not going to complain, but yeah, the, the show interview content does get old somewhat quickly. Um, and I'm, you know, walking down to the studio and like not having the teleprompter set up and, and being like, wow, this feels, this feels weird. I've not used that for, that's, that, that's wrong. <laughs> so yeah, Earth, Earth was great. Earth was I mean, you've you've been to Murph, you know what that is like. Yeah. Um. So to give you a bit of a perspective, Earth is like the polished, well done, organized version of Murph. <laughs> it's still it's still very much got the same vibe. Um, yeah. But like you could actually move through the through the alleys through the through the show. Um, there there were there were great projects. Uh, there were there was a stage that was organized. It's like the folks actually did some planning ahead of time and delivered a show that was that was really easy to attend and really really nice to attend um, who who actually organizes earth printed uh, solid the, uh, i think they're involved yeah but it's no idea okay the earth team the earth team okay <laughs> It's just fun about yeah. what they are yeah well i've just seen a like a couple of shots of the venue on well in your interviews they are using like a sports arena a, a sports arena yeah. so there's plenty of space in there yeah and it's part of the harvard not not harvard but the harford <laughs> community college okay uh, not not quite the same but yeah so it's obviously there's parking there um and it's just part of that that large structure um yeah, it's it's nice. It's it feels like as far as what the location is, it feels similar to Murph because it is out in the woods, kind of. There's not a lot there, um, but then again, if you look at where it is, like it's pretty close to Baltimore and Washington D.C., mm. so it's somewhat easy to get to and to get out of. But yeah, the show's been great. The show's been great. But as always, two days. I was there for a bit. How long was it there for? Yeah, a bit more than 48 hours oh, <laughs> come on <laughs> that was that was as always not enough um one weekend of you know fist bumping people and interviewing and trying to, to live stream and trying to just see some stuff it's just not long enough okay so, yeah man. really really cool so one of the things we have been talking before in the podcast and where I was like really interested in was the 3D Banshee speed challenge. And you actually were, you were one of the judges. Yes. You didn't like follow all of the prints that were done, but can you just maybe summarize how, how good looked like the best Banshee and who actually won? Yes. Oh, who won? Crap. <laughs> Like, who <laughs> won? <have> like, <laughs> so that what okay, was the, the printer used for? Like the 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 God, best or I, I the fastest thing? But I think it was like some custom Core XY. But uh. okay, okay. Anyways, so I, I I was one of the judges, and the the judging rules were kind of set before we started. So there were four categories: like vertical, horizontal surfaces, um, overall quality there were there were a few preset um categories that there were disciplines that were touched on and there were two different um stacks of benches or two different uh, disciplines so one was a 30 minute benchy and the other one was a 60 minute benchy 
And for the, I think for the 60 minute one, there was no um, bonus or malice uh, system if you finished earlier or later. But for the 30 minute one, there was like one extra point for every minute that you were uh, done faster. Mm -hmm. So there weren't a ton of um, ton of entries. I think people were kind of scared of submitting their Benchy because they thought, well, you know, I'm not going to win. So why, why submit it anyways? Now, to be fair... That was a valid concern um, because uh, there was one Benchy in there. Um, no idea who it was from. Sorry if I forgot all your names, but um, there was a there was a live stream. You can you can watch the entire recording of that. There was fourteen minutes, and it was it looked better than some printers managed to do in one and a half hours. So <laughs> yeah, you could tell that it was that it was pretty fast and sloppy, but overall really good quality. There were some that just downright failed. Okay. Um, but yeah, as, as far as how people got fast Frenchies to print, I think it, it mostly boils down to having a really well-tuned-in printer, to having a really solid uh, motion system. I think some of them were printing as fast as 200 millimeters a second. Mm-hmm. So you need the hardware to support that. Um, controlling thermals, having a good part cooling system in there. And yeah, that there were not a ton of tricks used. Like there was no um, non-planar, as I had suggested. Um, <laughs> there was no. I love that there may have been some some variable infill, but mostly it was very low infill on the on the print. So like five percent, if at all, just to hold up the, the the horizontal surfaces ever so slightly. And yeah, and probably it, only just one perimeter. Well, well you. Most of them, I think, were actually two because none of them had the info poking through um, okay. quite significantly. There were some that had Z-Wobble ringing, of course, all the, the speed artifacts that you'd expect, um, blobbing, gaps in the uh, in the shells. But that's just that's just tuning in your printer and having really good hardware to support it. But yeah, the the softer tuning side was somewhat under underrepresented, I think. Okay, quite unfortunate. I I, I actually really hoped for like a revolutionary new technique but still interesting maybe uh some people found it interesting and might be also like submitting their banshees next year yeah well okay so the the mode of participation was you had to print the banshee on site Mm -hmm. so they checked um with you when you started the print so as you mentioned, you, you've read through the rules. I actually haven't, even though I was one of the judges. Um, the time was taken from the moment the printer started printing, extruding filament. So preheat times are taken out of the equation. So one of the officials of, of the competition was there, uh, checked that the printer actually printed that that Benchy. And then at the end of the print, the Benchy was supposed to be left on the bed itself. So they would come mm-hmm. back and then actually remove it from the printer together with the participant. Um, so yeah, you had to print the Benchy on site because okay. otherwise, how would you verify uh, that it was actually printed in 30 minutes or 60 minutes? So yeah, um, lots of fun, lots of really good prints actually for, for like 14 minutes or 20 minutes. The Benchies did look really, really good. Yeah. And I think the, the, the fastest or the, the winning 30 minute Benchy was basically on par with the winning 60 minute Benchy. So <laughs> <laughs> that was interesting cool very nice yeah, yeah. so yeah now, now you're back uh you just said that you're also going to be at form next this year you haven't been attending for the last two years or even two more? or three years i was at euro mode once 
That's the same show, right? Yeah, that was the same show like since four years ago. And okay, then it yeah. started becoming Form Next. And so I have been there for the last three years. And I think you've never been there during that time. Yeah, I've never been to the Form Next, Form Next. So Form I next, think I caught the last Euromold when it was no. called Euromold for the last time. But this year, no. we're, it looks like everyone's going to be there. Yeah. Joe? Uh, 3D printing nerd, uh, sorry, Joe, 3D printing nerd, Joe, 3D maker nerd. Well, come on, that's that's hard. 3D, 3D maker nerd. Uh, you're gonna be there. I'll be there for probably two days. Uh, just like walking around. I won't be taking any videos or things like same, that. But still, same for me. Yeah. Just meeting a lot of people. So form next especially in comparison to something like Earth or Murph or oh, yeah. a, a, uh, a Maker Fair is just a much more a show for professionals or for professional 3D printing. So you usually don't find your cheap 3D printers there. But Joseph Prusha was there last year? I don't know if he was there last year, but I was going to say that this year there are a lot of like the consumer 3d printer brands there so e3d mm -hmm. are going to be there push are going to be there uh who else bunch of other like brands that you'd know from from the sort of 3d printing that, mm -hmm. that we do on our youtube channels um and it's interesting to see that it looks like formnex is opening up to that more mm -hmm. whereas tct i think four three or four years ago actually did a radical cut from being all B2B to going to, oh, yeah, this is the new big thing, consumer 3D printing, mm. and was like half the show of just consumer stuff. And then over the years, it's been tuned down. So TCT is, is moving towards the more industrial B2B side again. Maybe, I don't know, but um, also on Formnext, um, there has been... so. I, I think 3D printing is not as hyped anymore as it used to be. And yeah, going sure. to such to such a venue is very expensive. And maybe they had the problem that uh, they couldn't fill both like stages again. So they also tried to open up a little bit in that direction to the more maker market and not only the professionals and prosumers. Yeah. Uh, might be one of the reasons. If I remember correctly, I think Euromold was like three exhibition halls or something. Yeah, but they it did 3D printing and large. injection molding. That's right, yeah. Oh, so yeah. that's that's separate now. That's totally separate now. Okay. Form next is now just 3D printing. There's still a couple of Chinese mold makers. I don't know why they're still there. I but haven't gotten the message. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh but it's it's still interesting. It's it's a nice mix between like take a look at the real professional metal 3d printers and also some smaller companies out there 3dk Berlin, some filament makers some 3d printer manufacturers uh yeah. e3d is going to be there for the first time it's really really cool yeah and uh one clip metal are going to be there um which is i think oh, one of the reasons why, why i'll be there um they were the first ones to point me towards form next because for them it's like their their big release of the machine yep. um I'm really looking I'm, forward. I'm, I'm trying to think if if I'm if I'm telling stuff that I'm not supposed to talk about. But yeah, <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Uh, we've we've done we've done an interview. It's all on YouTube. Yeah. So they'll be there, and for them, it's, it's going to be the the big event where it no. shows, hey, is this actually something people care about? Yeah. And so, form next is going to be, I think, from the 19th to the 22nd of 21st? November. 
think 20, 21st. Or so three like days. That. 19, 20, 21. No, it's four days. I think four days. Okay. It's uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Right. And usually, yes, you're correct. You, usually, the party on the first day is very good. At the, um, how's it called? How are they called? Uh, like a Berlin startup company. They have really good f- good food there every year. Okay. Well. Uh. <laughs> well. Sh- uh, trade show parties are trade show, you know, a, th- yeah. a thing of their own. Mm. Uh, though, as as visitors, you're probably not making it into that. Uh, you are. You are. You are. Uh, they are just closing down the booths at six o'clock. And everybody who's still in there gets free food, free, free drinks. That's kind of okay. nice. Okay. Yeah. Because usually they kick everyone out who's not an exhibitor yeah. or... No, well, they don't do it there. And that's really cool. I hope it's still going to be like that this year. Unfortunately, well, if... I'm not there for the first day. Yeah, me neither. So we're, we're both going to be there for the 20th and the 21st. Exactly. All right. So fist bumps again, I guess, uh, for yeah. whoever finds us there. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. We, we've shortly been uh, talking before the podcast about things that we are currently doing. And I said, I'm currently enjoying myself again, doing oh, some yeah. tinkering without filming. So, well, how I've... Do you, I've sorry. How do you actually do that? So the the mindset I always get into is, hey, if I'm doing this project, it's like it's something that I care about. It's something that I'm interested in. So probably my YouTube audience is interested in that as well. So I'm gonna turn this project that I'm in, that I'm that I care about into something that is YouTube video. How do you like just throw away that fantastic content? Two things. I have a second job or like I have a first job, which pays. Uh, if I'm not doing YouTube and the second thing I need to relax from time to time and tinkering was always something I really really enjoyed and since starting YouTube tinkering has become work and even though it's enjoyable from time to time it's still work it's you always have to think how are you doing that where do you put the camera um, did I write down everything? How's the angle? And things like that. And I just thought so. I posted the review of the Sapphire Pro yep. 3D printer on Saturday. And this is my project at the moment. I purchased a bunch of stuff at E3D. And I just want to tinker with it, with that machine at the moment. Um, there will be There will be like a part of a video where I put the Hermes extruder on the Sapphire Pro 3D printer. But other than that, it's just enjoying myself, upgrading it and making it to a nice, well, well making a nice printer out of it. <laughs> and, more... since, and since 3D printer reviews and 3D printer upgrade is not like the things I mostly do on my channel, I thought, yeah, just screw it. Enjoy yourself. You have like, no, one week of holiday, play around with it. Uh, maybe there's something coming out of it in the end, but it's not primarily a video, and I enjoy it oh. so much. Oh, <laughs> I, I bet, yeah. Again, like I said, that that takes some. Well, you, you have to convince yourself to actually do that because the default mode, I think, for for both of us has become, oh yeah, this is a this is a video project now, and it does take away that, uh, you know, that flow of just being able to do things without having to worry about cameras and and pacing Mm -hmm. and all that 
And it's like taking me half or a third the amount of time it, it otherwise oh, yeah, would do. Yeah, for sure. And I ha can have greasy fingers and everything and not worry about like messing up my camera. So That's true, though. The GH5 is weatherproofed, so you could probably <laughs> take that in the shower once you're done. Uh, yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... Talking about Hermes, uh, you Ooh, said yeah. that you have been putting the Hermes extruder with the Super Volcano hotend on your yes. Raptor 3D printer. Yes, yes, yes. Um, actually, just today, I've posted the, the first photo of that today. Um, so the the Raptor by itself is already a weird setup where it's like it, it's lipstick on a pig to a certain extent where the, the, you can tell it's been it's a janky printer that's been tuned up with a few good components. Um, which makes it actually fun to use because it's big. It's it's sort of kind of reliable. Yes, it has its limitation. It has limitations that make my catch on fire, but you know it's it it's fun to print with it. But the the big limitation has been the extruder, which is just hot garbage. Um, so Hermes on there, Super Volcano on there. It's it has just finished printing a gear, um, which is super quickly done. It's super consistent. Ah, uh, I think that's what the what the printer should have from the factory. Mm -hmm. And yes, why we're bringing up the Hermes, uh, which by the way is not out yet, and neither of us can tell you when exactly it's going to be out. So sorry about that. <laughs> um, well, actually, I actually don't know when exactly it's going to be out. I I heard rumors. It I think it will be out this year at some point. But they well, are yes, they are making sure that they get QC right this time this is the reason why it is well uh why it hasn't been released to the like the larger public so far and yeah. that's a good thing and we will be talking about that in the news section as well oh yes um but yes one thing that you you mentioned about what prints like that large layer prints look like mm -hmm. is the entire pla matte versus dull mm -hmm. finish and what I've noticed on the Super Volcano print, printing black dust filament PLA, because they gave me like four of the two and a half or two point something kilogram rolls, um, which were like, you know, not, which were rolls that they would throw away because they're not full or they have some sort of, a, of an issue. But mine come out super shiny, super glossy, yeah. perfectly heated through. And what you mentioned when you were printing fast, yeah, you got the opposite. So I made a, customer project a couple of months ago he wanted like a fancy business card holder and i thought oh okay how can he use 3d printing for that and um yada yada um however i wanted to make a fast prototype for him and i printed it in the using the fast profile and prusa slicer on my mark ii which is 0.35 millimeter layer height with a 0.4 millimeter nozzle Yep. which is already quite interesting. But the thing I noticed was printing that fast and with that amount of material, my black PLA prints turned out totally dull with a really nice matte finish, which looked awesome. So the thing probably is, even though it's print, it was printing like at 210 degrees Celsius, the material probably did not have enough time to properly melt through and ended up with uh, this matte surface finish in the end, which is yeah. something really nice because often people are looking for that matte finish and there are some filaments which like always turn out matte after printing, but 
just like tuning in maybe printing temperature or the, the amount of material you squeeze out of the nozzle might be also a measure to adjust like the gloss glossiness or the matteness of your 3d prints yeah so I'm, I'm thinking that's what's happening with the super volcano in my case because it's, it's just so long like yeah it's pushing out a ton of material but it, it gets a ton of time to thoroughly heat through yeah so i'm thinking i'm printing a 210 though i'm not trusting the that thermistor at all um <laughs> but it, still it, it's it's getting it's getting to that temperature at the end and if you're just pushing more material through a standard v6 mm. block it's getting less time to actually heat mm. up well, so the melt the melt zone in like a normal V6 nozzle is probably, let's say, ten millimeters, and the super volcano is 60, 70, something like yeah, that. More more than four times as long, <laughs> for sure. And it's a copper block. Okay. So copper block and an eighty watt heater, which is quite crazy as far as the setup goes, but it it heats up surprisingly slowly because mm -hmm. it's, it's just such a large thermal mass. Are you able to just plug in that 80 watt heater on the normal mainboard of that printer so are the yep. mosfets well like made for that i guess it works there's no there's not been any smoke yet <laughs> um but 80 watts it's a 24 volt system so 80 watts are what a few amps four amps three mm. and a half three yeah ish three three point something amps mm. so it's not a whole lot like handleable for for a standard yeah setup I'm, I'm worried about the connectors more because they're using those dsup those vga yeah. monitor connectors um and i'm not sure how many pins of those they're using for the hot end heater but <laughs> for the most time it's you know the, the full load only applies when it's heating up and then in, in steady state it's just pulsing on and off so mm. i mean so far it's working okay cool really interesting so we'll we'll probably see some really big thick layer prints from your raptor in the near future yeah uh, later today actually i've i've already sliced like a vase um that i printed uh, the the twirly resin vase that i showed in the illegal mm. mars review um i printed that at a 2x scale though i think that the one on the mars was scaled down already and it was just like 800 grams of phlegm and i was like mm. Maybe not do that as a test print. I'm sure it's going to turn out <laughs> fine, but maybe start with something a bit smaller. <laughs> <laughs> well, if if you have like four of these two and a half kilo spools of PLA, you at least don't need to worry about running out of filament during the print. Yes, yes. Um, and the the Raptor really needs those big spools. Thankfully, it does have a filament sensor. So, <laughs> Okay. This was actually one of the things which... Well, which was now fixed with like the new Ultimaker box filament storage thing, the, but yes. but the S5, well, all Ultimaker materials they come on the 750 gram spools, and we did lots of printing at work. And if you have a big print, it in and you have the 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 printing area of an S5. Uh, sometimes 750 grams of material is just not not enough, and. Uh, we actually had to buy filament from another manufacturer just that we have like the two and a half kilo spools that we can finish big prints over the weekend and not worry about running out of filament. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that unattended thing is, is its own. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's, but the the Ultimaker does have that NFC system where it keeps track of how much filament is on each spool, right? But Yeah, it does. But it, well, 
I don't know if I'm doing something wrong, but I, I've been using like the Ultimaker 3 for three years. I never had any warning message telling me there's not enough filament on that roll. So no. I don't think they are actually using it for like telling you that you shouldn't use that spool of filament. And I don't understand why. Or I ever did something wrong. I just know that they are tracking it. You can check that on the NFC. And yeah. it is automatically adjusting like the printing profile and will cross-check with your cheat code if you have loaded the right material into, into the print core. Yeah. But as I said, I never got the message that it's not enough. I you also have you one. Can, I, I have a, a regular Ultimaker 3, yeah, but... I don't think you can actually turn off anything like warning messages. So if you're not if you're not seeing them, they're not in there. Which is I I need to check that. Yeah, <laughs> weird. Okay, uh, so moving from one big printer brand to another big printer brand, Prusa. Prusa's lit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, there has been a Prusa fire, which. Hopefully, by the time this podcast goes live, Prusa will have a blog post about it. Um, I do have some inside information on that. Apparently, you know, Prusas don't still don't catch on fire just by themselves. Um, <laughs> if you're not doing crazy stuff to the printer, I'm just gonna, you know, that that's all the information I'm gonna give right now. But yes, if you've seen the pictures of, oh my god, a Prusa Mark III caught on fire. I thought that only happened to Ain. It's like, y y yes, but but it's not the printer's fault. Okay. <laughs> that That's nice to hear because yeah. uh, it, it would be a pity and it's it's it would be a, like a big problem for a company if like just one of their printers start catching fire. Well, it's, it doesn't seem to have been such a big problem for Ain. They're still selling machines. <sighs> yeah, Chinese company, like at least European company. I don't know. <laughs> they yeah, might um, they might handle something like that differently. Yeah. Yep. So Prusa Prusa are on that topic. They have mm. looked into it. They've they've actually you know diagnosed the printer on site, and they have found some things that hopefully they will pack up into a blog post. Cool. Interesting. So yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll stay tuned for that. Yes. Um, let's move on to the next big printer company, E3D. E3D. Uh, so you've, you've noted down E3D plus Lowspot ah. and the Brexit. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I thought you wrote that down, but now I remember that no, I wrote no, that you, down you into did. the news section. So uh, I don't know if those are... I think those are two separate topics. Let's maybe start with E3D and Brexit. So... I well E3D is a UK company. Yes. And they well Brexit might be in like 2 days, 3 days? No, no, they, they just got the the extension, the flex extension. Ah, seriously. Maybe January, maybe okay. earlier, maybe later. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, but <laughs> when I visited them I also talked about hey, how are you guys preparing for Brexit? And this is kind of bad because they also need to supply other 3D printing man 3D printing manufacturers with their parts, and I think, well, lo lots of companies who are in the UK they had to prepare for that, and they had to buy like additional raw stock. They were sending out stuff like 
earlier than expected, just that their customers have more stock available. If you have this Brexit where, um, well, not everything is figured out and there might be complications with customs and things like that. And I also made sure that I purchased my E3D <laughs> stuff uh, before Brexit was ha was happening because I thought, oh no. scheduled to happen. Scheduled uh, to yeah. happen. Uh, because, <sighs> well... I don't know how it will be with customs. Uh, nobody knows. Nobody. Well, nobody knows. But and I think that's this is one of here. the reasons why I usually don't really enjoy buying stuff from China because I think I'm on some like customs list, and uh, well, since like two years, all of my stuff is ending up in German customs. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, buying things from like a European company where I don't need to worry about customs, even though the amount of, well, money I paid for that stuff is over the limit of like the 30, yeah, 40 bucks like or 30 bucks uh, thing. So yeah, if, if that is changing again, it's, it's also bad for their business because also people will think, okay, I, I will not buy directly from E3D anymore because then I have to worry about customs. Well, they're starting to get resellers set up, right? Okay. They've got MetaHackers in the US yeah. already. Um, I'm sure they've got some resellers in, in Germany mm. within the future EU mm. already. They have now stock at Amazon. But having yes. resellers is always, well, is sometimes bad for your business because the reseller wants to have a cut. No, obviously. Yeah. But I mean, with with Brexit in general, I, what what I'm learning basically is it's not the fact that Brexit is happening, how it's happening, when it's happening, whatever. It's the fact that nobody knows how, when, whether at all it's happening. Like mm. uncertainty is the worst thing to have. I think it would be at this point it would be better to just do, you know run with a hard Brexit and figure it out and have certainty. <laughs> Um, than to to be like, oh, well, maybe in three three months we're going to do something. Maybe not. Because it's been like that in three years and it's already been such a massive hit to, to the uh, UK economy. Hmm. Uh, uh, we'll see. All right, yeah. Lol spot. It sucks. Yeah, uh, just, just to finish yeah. that up, uh, E3D, I've talked to them as well. They've prepared for literally every single scenario yep. that there could be. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also costing a lot of money. Again, it's, yeah. it's that uncertainty. So uh. they are prepared no matter what, but it's been it's been a pain to walk through. Yeah. Lulzbot. This had has been on the news. It was, I think, already like three three weeks ago, but Lulzbot, they are scaling down their business. Yeah, so I've I've briefly talked about that last week two weeks ago with Keith uh, on the last episode. Mm -hmm. So Loadspot are, the official information right now is Loadspot are scaling down the business to like 10% of what they used to be. Okay. So they're laying off like 90%. Don't quote me on those numbers, but something around that. Because, well, money, they're not, they're not making enough of a profit. Yada, yada, yada. Okay. Yeah, it's, mm. it's, it's, it's a pity and well, they're not, the first ones uh where where this is happening i think with just the big influx of of chinese printer uh printers like european and american companies they have their problem finding their market probably also one of the reasons why prusa starts uh well selling their prusa mini which is more aimed towards like the beginner machines oh for sure 
Yeah. Sure. I mean, it's it's actually saying that on the website. Yeah. Uh, you know, great beginner printer. Yeah. Um, Wolfsbot sounds a lot like uh, Printbot, to be honest. Yeah. It sounds like a very similar setup, a very similar story. Um, they, you know, US-based, very much focusing on on actually producing stuff locally as much as they can. I think Wolfsbot has been a bit bigger than uh, Printbot. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's the same issues they're running into. Now, Printabot was innovating a lot with Loadspot, even though I liked their printers. Or maybe maybe Printabot was innovating too much. They were trying mm-hmm. to do too much with the Printabot Pro that was like all cloud and touchscreen and all that. Loadspot maybe weren't innovating enough. Yeah. I don't know. I've not used their more recent printers, their Mini 2. I think they've actually they've actually should, should, suggested sending a Mini 2 to me for review, though I think that is uh, <laughs> that deal has expired. Um, but yeah, if you look at how much Prusa is doing and how much Lulzbot is doing as far as development mm. goes, I think there's a pretty clear difference of who's pulling ahead. And at some mm. point, if you're selling premium printers, which were printers in a premium price bracket as Lulzbot was doing, you need to deliver on something. I think mm. most part we're doing a lot when it comes to schools and curricula and, mm. and all that. But yeah, that's just that's a part of the market, but that's just not all of it. Mm. So I still yeah. think that kind of the nice thing is that they're not bankrupt for the moment, which is positive for the current customers because they're still getting support. Are they not? I don't think so. I. I haven't read that because they're still well. They still have their support team there. Um, support will still be done, but probably no more like engineering is happening at Lulzbot. The, I, if you if you just pl- uh, plop in Lulzbot into Google News, there are two 3Ddruck.com articles. <laughs> One from October fourteenth is, uh, you know, even though there are rumors, Lulzbot is not bankrupt. And yeah. then four days later, 3D, 3D <laughs> printer market, is Loadspot bankrupt after all? So, <laughs> and the official word is not out yet. Yeah. On so things are happening out. there. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, it sucks. But yeah, it's a, seriously. It's, they, it's yeah. the way the free market goes, right? Yeah. But, <sighs> yeah. Speaking of the free market... <laughs> <laughs> transitions are on point today oh yes uh speaking of the free market nordvpn um i've already tweeted about that uh so the so in last in the last meltzone episode i pointed out that they were suggesting where their their agency was suggesting hey why don't you point out like uh you know you can go around censorship and post like 3d gun models and stuff uh, if your country doesn't want you to with a vpn i was like ah I'm I'm not I'm not sorry I'm not touching that literally two days later uh news broke that not 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 something to laugh about but yeah two days later the uh the news broke that the uh the terrorist attack from from Halle was using quote-unquote 3d printed guns yes I know they were not 3d printed guns per se but that's what they're being portrayed as there were firearms made with 3d printed parts yeah so not entirely 3d printed but partially printed and yeah that, that that was the first one where i was like guys you 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 kind of missing the, the tone here and then two days after i published the video 
Uh, the news broke that they've been keeping a security breach on the wraps for one and a half years. Which, the breach itself pro- apparently wasn't that much of a drama, but the fact that they didn't communicate it. Mm. It's just, I mean, for a company you rely on for security, security or safety, I never know which one it is. Um, you, like, if they have a breach like that, even though it was not super duper severe, it was it was a breach. Um they should have communicated that. They should have made mm-hmm. it public where, you know, where it's at least like, hey, this is what happened. This is what we did about it. Um, it's taken care of. We'll keep you posted if something ever happens. Like, that should be the minimum of what you'd mm-hmm. expect for, for a VPN company. They did not do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jay's Two Cents actually has one or two videos about it. I think one video on, mm-hmm. where he explains all that in full detail. And it's like, he'll be stopping, he'll be seizing cooperation work with nordvpn i would be doing the same uh, i don't think i am legally allowed to like remove the sponsorship from the existing video or something i don't know yeah but uh, the the question is what 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 are you supposed to do as a as an influencer uh in in that situation where your sponsor screws up and there's nothing you could have done to uh vet against that I, I feel uh, bad for having promoted them, yes. Yeah. But then again, I I how I could I could not have known. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I also thought about the same thing and removing the video or just removing the sponsorship part, but then you have contracts and things like that. It's it's complicated. It's complicated at the moment. But well, you never know could also happen with anybody else you do like sponsorships with that is well yeah true i mean that's that's how it goes with uh, sponsors in general but thankfully we have a uh, a great community of sponsors who will never let us down which is uh, our patrons so thank you for you to you guys uh for you know allowing us you and me both uh <laughs> to not having to take every sponsorship no matter how dodgy it is because nope. there there are very dodgy opportunities coming up um, quite regularly. So, yes, we, we do vet our sponsors as best as we can. Yeah. And when stuff happens, well, at, at least what I can do is clarify it on Twitter. Yeah. I follow on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next topic. You want to do this one or? Let's... let's do that one real quickly because it, yeah. it kind of ties into um that entire story so um after the attacks from halle um of course well the one thing that's been happening is is our fantastic conservative party was like hey we need to look at gamers because he used gamer slang um and apparently steam is now a, a terrorist forum i don't know uh, the other thing that happened is, of course, companies come forward and say, hey, we, we now have a solution that actually prevents printing uh, illegal items such as, in Germany at least, uh, 3D printed firearms. So Dagoma, I think they're French, if I'm not mistaken, um, now have a software that prevents you know, certain designs, even if they're slightly modified, from being printed. I'm doing air quotes here right now because what they're actually doing is they're publishing their code as open source. Yes. What they're actually doing is their Cura slicer 
is doing the detection. So not the printer itself, not mm. not a, on a G code level, but they're curious. So like how how is that supposed to do anything? <laughs> Can it, <laughs> because it, it's still a G code printer, right? It, it exports G code. If their Cura 15.04, I don't know which which one it's built on, uh, doesn't slice the part, you just use stock Cura, or mm-hmm. you use Prusa Slice, or you use Simplify 3D, or mm-hmm. some other software that slices it. You don't need to use their their own. Like, is this for like, oops? I printed a gun. <gasps> I, if only my software would have prevented that. That's the only thing that it's preventing, right? Yeah. It's <sighs> the the only thing I'm worried about there is like at some point legislators will force 3D printer manufacturers to put like firmware on the printer that does something similar like like that. It's kind of similar to um, the drone thing that is, has been happening for the last years. So when I built my first quadcopter 10 years ago, I was kind of the only one. Nowadays, everybody can like purchase uh, a camera drone for a couple of bucks everywhere. And um, you legally need to have like a plate on them with your address yeah. and a code and things like that you need like a flying license even though you have certain weights yeah yeah, if you're above 250 grams or something like that but also uh things like i think the dji drones they have like no flight zones in their software and gps is preventing the drones to fly in there it's at the moment it's not they don't need to do that um they are just yeah promoting that as a feature but i don't know 10 years from now, there is a law that you can only buy 3D printers that are not able to print firearms. I don't know. I'm quite scared. It, it reminds me of the entire upload filter debate. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think it's a very similar issue where the technical implementation of what they're they're wanting to happen is so far out there, so so close to being impossible. Well, mm. It is, in fact, impossible to to filter out everything. That even if there's a law for it, yes, that there's going to be some filtering maybe happening. But one filtering and 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 locking stuff away only works in a in an all closed source proprietary environment. Uh, and two, even then, people are going to find ways around it. Yeah. So I mean, that very similar thing happened with uh, currency. What's it called? Um, Fake money. Fake money? Um, there is a word for that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so banknotes, fake fake banknotes copied. Um, apparently, there was a scare that people would just put it into their copier and photocopied. So now printers and Photoshop and, and scanners even, I think, yeah. will prevent uh, currency from being... Well, Photoshop will, will refuse to open like a dollar bill. Yeah, because there's a specific dot pattern on the bill. That's, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, sure, Photoshop doesn't do it, but does Gimp, Gimp does do it? it? <laughs> so, like, you, you can't, it does work. Yeah. It doesn't work. It's only, yeah. I mean, for, for people who are doing legitimate stuff, it's just going to be an inconvenience. Mm. Yeah. And for people who still want to to go get into nefarious uh, things with the software, they're, they're still going to find a way around that. Yeah, and of course we can expand that entire discussion into gun control, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which I do not want to do right now. But 
Yeah. Even if you, the internet is a is a big place. Like you can't, yeah, you're gonna have to deal with it. You can't control it all. Nope. Yeah. Ah, all right, but I, I, but I, but I think you kind of talked in extent about that topic in yes. the last special podcast episode. So if you guys are interested and haven't listened to that, um, check that one out. Yeah, that is episode twenty four. Yeah. Um, another thing, so new section is pretty long currently. Uh, Fusion three sixty is change is changing their subscription model. Like again, oh. ooh, um, I haven't like figured a hundred percent out what that changes for myself, but somehow I got an email, and if you're opening Fusion three sixty right now, it tells you that the subscription model changed, and you need to like reapply for your. The entrepreneur's license or your free license for, or things like that for me it's 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 telling me hey there's now a, a year's end sale and you can save 30 percent of, of your annual <laughs> subscription if you buy now uh though i'm i'm on the startup license you are too right yes which technically we don't need to be apparently so we can use the free license because we're using it and I think that is one of the changes, maybe, mm-hmm. because the uh, the free license now explicitly states you can use it for YouTube videos, blogs, or other web content. Though they're not so. Again, the the wording on the website is not very clear on that, as it has never been on on Autodesk's uh, Fusion three sixty page. Though I believe the uh, the official information from one of the Fusion three sixty representatives, which uh, Keith that I talked to last time, uh, is you know or at least has contact to. Confirmed that the free license is okay for YouTube, even if you make more than the one thousand uh, dollars of revenue um, to make or from your videos. Mm-hmm. So apparently, that is only on actually selling designs or selling parts that are made mm-hmm. with Fusion Three Hundred and Sixty, not on content produced on it. Mm-hmm. Though we're both in the in the startup license, and literally nothing is changing, right? Uh, I'm, I'm yeah i'm currently checking but i thought there were a little less features there but well okay so there's one thing that is different um you can't import any solid works files in the fusion in the free fusion 360 in the version totally free one yes in a totally free one but in the like entrepreneur's license that is include, included the commercial translator or how it's called the other thing i think uh, but i haven't checked generative design is so the, the way it used to be back in the day um was the generative design was not part of the startup license i couldn't nope. use it but was it part of the free license I think there wasn't a free license before. There was just like the free and startup license and then there was the paid version. I think oh. the free one is now completely oh, really? new. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm quite I, sure. Because what, what, it... What it, were it, people it, using? I mean, it, was, it was free for... It was free, free for makers. <laughs> well, it was free for what makers, it? but it was the same license as the startup. It was... There was one license for personal use, uh, startups, hobby use, and then there was, which had to be renewed every year, I think. And then there was the commercial one. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
what I'm currently reading, so generative design was only available in the commercial license so far. This is the reason why I and probably you haven't been using it so far. And generative yeah. design is like a more, uh, not more complex, but a more, it's a topology optimization with more features than the topology optimization that was in Fusion 360, which yeah, is kind of nice. It goes the other way. Topology optimization takes away material uh, that is not needed where generative design will actually design the part for you, at least linkages, basically. Yeah. It's the same. Right? No, it's the same. No, no, no. It, generative design, you have you have like an eye that you bolt down, another eye you define your forces, and then it, it creates the geometry but, between it. That is the what, that is the entire outset for generative design in fusion, right? But that's exactly the same with topology optimization. You still need to define your um your design space. Generative well, the, design is just more advanced because it's you can um I think it, define load cases in a better way you can do studies in there way easier i think it's just a more advanced version of topology optimization okay, so, and so, i'm so very sure <laughs> generative design actually creates uh, f- actual geometry um like features as far as i'm aware well or at least clean geometry while topology optimization just creates a mesh right that is that is the the big difference I, I I need to I need, yeah 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 I need to check that but well internally also generative design probably creates the same geometry I don't know if they have like an automatic awesome. algorithm to convert that triangular shape STL thing from like the topology optimization into a perfectly like polynerb structure which is nice and smooth yeah, well, that, that's that's what the result of, of generative design is from Fusion. It's just it's just cleaned up. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't look like it, but okay. Uh, <laughs> maybe a Fusion representative can can correct us on yeah. that. Um, uh, yeah, because I, neither of us have been using it for our for our private stuff, no. obviously, because we don't have access to it. Yeah, okay, but it it tells me right here. Okay, uh, like editable geometry. Um, but I but I think it's it's kind of the same as if you would run topology optimization and then use the um how is it called shapes module on fusion 360 or something like that I where you can also do the per- polynerbs structures which is you can create that from from mesh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well oh. you have to do it manually okay like it's it's kind of similar as having a ball of clay that you shape to the desired shape, but it's gonna be interesting. Um, I'm I really want to do more in the direction of well generative design topology optimization, just also from my engineering background. So I'm really looking forward to maybe be able to try that out, even though I might have just yeah. been able to ask Autodesk, but. Who, who does it? Who does it help if if I can do it, but nobody else uh, yeah. can do it? Yeah. Yeah. So one one uh, as far as I'm aware, one of the big features of the free version that the free version had that not these that the uh, that the very free end user version, if there ever was such a thing, uh, had was five axis CNC, where mm. the um, even the smallest paid license was more limited mm. than what the um the free version did mm. 
So that's one of the things that used to be a difference, though I'm not sure how much of mm. it still is. Yeah. But then again, if you if you're using the free version, you're probably not using a five axis CNC. So I'm not sure how relevant that is. <laughs> um, and what I have heard is that Fusion is aiming more and more towards into the additive manufacturing side of like making so there is already a module for metal support structure and metal additive manufacturing in there but i don't know maybe we will see a a, a whole slicer in fusion 360 at some point yeah i mean netfab is part of autodesk um and netfab is everything it's geometry manipulation it's uh, slicing mm. it's fixing so I would not be surprised if that moves into Fusion 360 because, I mean, Fusion, as the name implies, is supposed to be like the fusion of all the tools mm. from different disciplines into one big chunk of software. Yeah, which would be cool. Uh, who <sighs> knows what what other results, what you know, implications that's going to have as far as cost or availability or whatever mm. goes. That's... We talked about that, I think, on the last podcast. Things like having subtractive and additive manufacturing just in one tool. That would be a benefit yeah. of having something like that. So who knows? Yeah, who knows? If, if, uh, if a software comes out that does like the tool changer, additive, subtractive combination, then it's probably going to be Fusion. Yeah. Fairly definitely. sure of it. <laughs> cool. Uh, should we do one last news topic? Yeah. One, one yeah. quickie that I really want to talk about that. You 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 do or you do not? No, I really want to do talk about okay, that. Okay, okay. Because Elegoo it's water washable resin. So I think we both have been approached by Elegoo, and Elegoo has also been putting out a little bit of advertising for that. But they are currently working on a water washable resin, which is, I think, not something totally new. But usually the resins that we're using in all 3D printers, they are washed with either denaturated alcohol or IPA. Any organic solvent, really. Yeah, s some kind of a solvent. They are developing a resin that is water washable. And at first, you might say, oh, that's pretty cool. I can save all of the money I spend on IPA or alcohol and um, just wash just drinking, the resin. <laughs> <laughs> and uh just yeah just wash wash it in like pure tap water which is cool um but which you can definitely do like you can wash it in tap water you can wash it in tap water the thing that is concerning me that much is that people well the thing that is concerning me if you take a look at the uh safety data sheet how do you call that in, in like MSDS, yeah yeah material safety whatever yeah, exactly. if, if you're taking a look at that document the resin is still horribly harmful to the environment it's still monomers right it's still the same uncured stuff yeah it's still like nasty stuff and people are lazy People are thinking, okay, yeah, it won't hurt anybody if I now wash my 3D prints in the sink because it's cheaper, it's way more comfortable. I have running water in there. I can clean up everything perfectly. But you don't have to worry about disposing the, yeah. the contaminated IPA. Like, yeah, it's great. Um, that stuff is nasty. Oh. And with resins like that, 
a part of it will end up in our sewage system and therefore again in our environment. And that is really concerning me. And this was the reason why I told them, uh, no, I will not be working on that because I think people are lazy. People are, sorry for that word, stupid. And will wash that resin and flush it down the drain. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, you know that, yeah. Which I think oh, is... Who, who, didn't, who didn't put his phone on mute? Huh? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was uh, it was Joe so okay well. <laughs> valid he, he was he was asking if I have an SL1 in my box behind me no I don't how does he is he is he watching us live no he's not watching us live I, <laughs> uh, I, I think I tweeted a, a picture of like the black box behind me on, right. on, on okay. Twitter uh, well coming back to the topic the, the thing is, I think people will not start pouring down the IPA that they use to rush, wash their resin down the drain. Because even though it probably might be possible, it's, it's different. Hey, don't, don't underestimate people. You know, <laughs> you know that saying, you know, imagine like the average citizen. Yeah. Or actually, I, I guess technically it has to be imagine the median citizen. And 50% of the population are dumber than them. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So the thing is, still with uh, washing the resin and IPA, there is a problem with how do you get rid of that. But water and even water with resin is easily poured on the drain. IPA, I, I put my stuff just outside and let it evaporate and the stuff that is left over which is then also like partly cured i just dispose that in the trash okay uh question question on that because i'm yeah. i'm not entirely positive that that's the best thing to do either because they're you know just evaporating volatile organic compounds vox vocs into the atmosphere isn't so fantastic either i think there's something going on with like ozone generation when like uv rays hit that or something along those lines I'm, i've not read into that but there's a limit for for how much vok can be like in paints and stuff uh for a reason because we don't want to release that into the atmosphere because you usually either. put the paint well inside your house I well it's it's well, that too, but it's definitely still not the perfect way to dispose it. Um you probably yeah. should just take it to your like recycling sites um how do you say uh dump dump yard where they have like a collection for really hazardous materials. Yeah. That might be like the really best thing to do. But evaporating the IPA and disposing the rest, which is, as I said, then partly cured because it's outside, you have the UV light. Uh, I think it's a better way and a safer way than just pouring it down the drain. If it's the yeah, best thing... I, if I, would, it, I would not encourage that, but I think burning it would actually... Or, or not burning it as in like burning it with the resin, but if you just burn it with a, you know in a pot it's just going to burn the vox and not the, the resin I, that that may actually be better in the end probably well i i used I it know. to start a couple of fires this uh this summer so <laughs> i burned part of it uh and yeah I, well the, i have then, a... then you're also burning the resin so yeah yeah mm. no 
okay back to the back to the washable water, water washable stuff um the i think the the really shady part about that is the way that it's being marketed where it is being washed in something that looks like a tap in something mm. that looks like running water uh that looks like it's going into a sink mm. i think that is painting the wrong picture yeah and is highly misleading yeah going on out there um so the uh the way that it's being marketed is is very misleading though as we've discussed before it can be uh you know an upside and an advantage if you have like really large prints where you don't want to deal with like massive amounts of ipa Mm. um and water is less harmful than ipa itself so ipa obviously is is like hand sanitizer it kills pretty much anything that it gets in its way and if you just pour your ipa down the drain even if it's clean ipa that is not all too fantastic either because you know with uh stuff like uh wastewater treatment that is based on bacteria on living things chewing up your waste water and cleaning it i don't think they're doing all that well if you if you have three gallons of ipa uh in the tank which is like a disinfectant and killing living things so yeah but like per definition so this is some ipa ipa i bought in our pharmacy a couple of years ago um it's at least not harmful for water and how do you say okay and in germany um well in germany we say uh fuel well like it's 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 uh it's dangerous it's flammable but i think it's not too bad like for the environment because it dilutes nicely it evaporates away and it's yeah things still you you should probably should pour that on the drain you should Um, not do that yeah you should not do that um you just said that that um if you have a big printer like for example the new pio poly how's it called phenom 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 always reminds me of the the amd four chord process from back then four and six (laughs) where i think was was the big one yeah uh if you have such a printer with such a big printing volume yeah you don't want to mess around with like 10 uh three gallons of of ipa just to wash your parts so for something like that it could definitely beneficial but still in the end you need to think about how do you do with the leftover water that is contaminated with the resin and yeah as i said um people are stupid people will pour it down the drain and that's bad for everyone because currently we have problems with microplastics and in 10 years we have problems with monomers everywhere in our water yep um I wasn't listening to what he just said. I was reading the, the a German uh, safety data sheet on IPA, <laughs> but I'm sure you made a good point. But back to the do not pour IPA down the drain. Uh, 0.6.2 Umweltschutzmaßnahmen nicht in die Kanalisation Oberflächenwasser Grundwasser gelangen lassen. Mit viel Wasser verdünnen. Bei Eindringen, Eindringen in Gewässer oder Kanalisation sofort zuständige Behörden benachrichtigen. So, let me just translate that into English real quick. Don't effing pour it down the drain. And if you actually do, uh, you need to contact your authorities because you've just contaminated the uh, the drainage system. Okay. So yeah, still bad. It's 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I I would be interested if anyone has like proper information how you should dispose 
the leftovers of like the washed resin. Uh, I think the best way would be to get it to the Problemstoffsammlung. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Is it is it okay to burn it? Is it okay to evaporate the IPA and dispose the rests? Mm. Yeah. If someone has the material science or the environmental science background, please let us know in the comments or send us an email because we, we're both kind of curious about that. Right now, I'm just stockpiling uh, like jugs of IPA mm. <laughs> that are contaminated to various degrees. Did did you and did you ever point, notice that? Yeah, at some point you you, you no, do I the right thing. Get rid of it somehow. <laughs> Start a big fire. Um, the thing that I found out a couple of months ago. So I had a UV light next to one of the containers I store my washing IPA in. And suddenly it looked like as if it was a snow globe. So like yeah. white stuff started forming in there. And I think that was part of the resin um, polymerizing in the IPA. Yeah, um, I'm seeing the same in some of my containers. Though I am not sure how much they can actually, or the, the monomers can actually polymerize uh, when they're thinned down so much because mm. they, they need like another monomer to connect to. Mm. Um, and when they're like so far spread out by, you know, being suspended in the solvent, I don't think you can ever get like 100% out of it. Yeah. Though possibly there's something going on that, that is getting them to polymerize. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm seeing that too. All right. <sighs> so much Talked on the way news. way long about it than we <laughs> than we wanted to <laughs> intended to uh, do we even have time to talk about the topic of the week today we are how far are we in we are an hour one in. minute uh, one hour seven minutes seriously well let, yeah. let, let's just talk about that briefly um <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's worked out great before <laughs> or no let, let, let's let's save that topic for for the next podcast. Um, so the thing we want to talk about is multi-material printing versus multi-color printing, what types there are, what benefits they have. If you guys have ideas on that, if you have found really nice applications for multi-material or multi-color printing, leave them down below and we might include them in the next podcast. I think just for the sake of time, it's probably better to... Yeah, delay that. Yeah, because for you, next you need to get going at some point today. Yes, I do. Uh, I would love to drag this out and, and keep talking to you, but unfortunately, <laughs> there are commitments, I, I assume. So let's answer a question instead um, from Jose Fabian, Fabian Torre. Sorry, Jose. Uh, my 3D printer started to make some noise when, when it is preheating. What could it be? It sounds uh, like it's from the fan or extruder area. That oh, oh yeah, that reminded me of my Mark two point five making noise from the heat bed at some point at some firmware upgrade. I don't know if you have noticed that as well. That during heating, the printer starts making like a clicking noise or something like that. No, nope. I maybe. Maybe, <laughs> maybe though I'm I'm not I'm not like entirely paying attention to okay. all the different noises that are going on. Okay, so th the thing is that my Mark II is usually in my office, so if I'm sitting next to it, that's the reason why I noticed it. And there was just a 
blog post on Pusha Printers released where they talk about how they made the heat bed silent again. And in the end, it turned out that the heat bed itself acted like a, a loudspeaker, like a, a driver. And the PWM frequency they used resulted in the heat bed making strange noises. And they played around with that, changed the PWM frequency, and in the end, it's it became silent again. So things like power supplies can make noises if they are, well, run at... Mm, well, not their optimal, uh, how do you say, like their their optimal like working point. But you... Yeah, and like partial load, basically. Yeah. Um, though that is a different noise than what the... Um, it's a different kind of method of how that noise uh, gets changed. Well, maybe not, not quite, actually. Somewhat similar, but, but different uh, than what the heated bed is doing or mm. the, the hot end is doing, mm. right? The, for for PSU, it's usually coming from the transformer, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because well, capacitors can make noise actually too. But okay, um, yeah. So typically, it's well if you have like um, a step down DC DC converters once they go into burst mode, where they stop just clocking consistently, and mm -hmm. they go into like clock pause, clock 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 pause. That you can hear, actually, phone power supplies, if you have them just plugged in and mm -hmm. no phone connected and charging, that's the noise you hear. Mm -hmm. um, but with the heated bed, it was different, right? Yeah. So I've just taken a really quick read through the article, <laughs> and I think I've talked to Prusa like two or three years about or ago about this topic because they've been at it for a while. Um, I think they've, even with the Mark II, they've been thinking about this or evaluating this. <laughs> Um, so what they're doing is instead of doing a hard switch when, you know, PID uh, on a printer is not, hey, now I'm giving it like 20% power, now I'm giving it 30% power to like even out the temperature and, and, and uh, keep it at a temperature, but all the printer can do is um, switch it on, switch it off, switch it on, switch it off. And with a bed, it's typically at a very low frequency. So you hear that click, 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 click about that frequency. Mm -hmm. Uh, where the bed just turns on and off. What they're doing is they're fading those individual pulses in and out, basically. Mm. So they're creating more of a of a sign. Well, I guess it's like a trapezoidal current waveform, more or less. <laughs> they're fading that in and out, so you're not getting that hard click, but you're kind of fading the current in and out. So that is how how, how that is generated is I think it's um it's actually speakers. It's not thermal contraction or expansion. <laughs> expansion is more like a, a piezo speaker kind of... How does a piezo speaker actually work? God. <laughs> <laughs> Fields, magnets, yeah. stuff deforming. So yeah. that's that. And it can probably be a very simple, similar thing uh, with uh, Jose's sound that he's hearing from the hot and then fan in the extruder area could it be that you have a well s strange effect on the fan just because a component or a wire next to it like with induction is turning on and off and you induce like a a current in the fan wire and the fan is like partially starting to spin all, all the time or is that uh, far-fetched? Poss possible. I mean, it's possible, <laughs> but probably not exactly what is happening. Now, 
what of course you can hear is see if you're saying it's from the extruder area is just the extruder motor being powered on and the stepper mo- stepper driver making or, or running at some frequency that mm-hmm. is audible in the motor so um what you yes well yeah. let, let me finish that yeah. thought real quick what you can actually hear is because the pwm from the harden is typically faster because you don't need to worry so much about switching losses mm-hmm. um you can run the MOSFET a bit faster which honestly with a bed or with a hardened is not much of an issue in the setups we're seeing but because the pwm frequency is so much faster it is kind of pulsing the power supply voltage because you're Mm -hmm. adding and removing load from the from the power supply and it's kind of dipping up and down and maybe or possibly the extruder or motor driver for the extruder motor uh is picking up on that and is kind of transmitting that into how much current it's pushing into mm. the motor. So you may hear the hot and turning on and off mm. from the motor mm. through the driver. Yeah. So it could just be the case that the motor is like turned on and not just um, idle. It's it's turned on. It has its, it's holding torque yeah. that's energized and that is usually making a noise. Yeah, and of course, once you add that um, that voltage ripple from the yeah. from some load being applied and taken away, that that may transmit through the motor, but it may also be something entirely different. <laughs> like without having a sample of this noise, it is incredibly hard to diagnose something. Yeah. Um, the reason yeah. I put it in there is because I have yes, just yeah, read about the the heat bed noise issue on the Prusa printers, and I thought. It, might be interesting to talk about that and um their new developer diaries that prusa started putting out are really interesting because they are going into lots of technical stuff uh, from the background so if you guys are interested take a look at prusaprinters.org or blog.prusaprinters.org or check the link in the description um it's the second developer diary so far but there will probably be more and it's not just oh look at this nice print it's really going into details uh, te- lots of technical stuff i enjoyed and reading them all the challenges they run into um because it's <laughs> yeah if you see the finished feature it's like oh yeah sure that that makes sense but getting there is is usually the harder part and Again, it shows, as I've mentioned with, with Loadspot versus Prusa, it shows that Prusa are actually putting a ton of development effort into into their machines, into just tuning the details that probably people wouldn't notice. Mm-hmm. But in the end, they all add up to be a better experience than if it's just what we used to have. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's all open source. So it's uh, it's going back into the community, which is fantastic. All right. I think that's it for today. Already? Already. (laughs) Yeah, I got to leave in a couple of minutes. So uh, we will have another episode in two weeks coming up. Less less news, hopefully, and more like topic of the week. Yeah, let's try and and get into a more regular interval again because these last few weeks for both of us have been full of travel and and events and just special episodes which aren't getting that many views as far as the podcast goes but it's fun to do them so yeah um so yeah see you again in two weeks stefan thanks for being here thank you all for watching support us on patreon (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah see you again soon
See you again. Bye bye. Goodbye.